Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. This is episode 11. trying something new what's that this weird voice i'm using (laughs) oh how annoying listeners would it be if we all talked like this yes i might stop this soon (laughs) well i've been drinking so you're gonna get what whatever the fuck you get (laughs) luckily tonight is not my night to tell a story so you don't have to keep listening to me we got drunk meredith instead (laughs) I know. Sorry, guys. Uh, I said I wasn't going to do this again, but... Um, Here we are. No, we like it. It's all right. Here we go. Let me get uh, a drink in there first. Okay. So the story that I have for you today is horrifying. Oh. And I'm really surprised that I hadn't heard of this case before because it has been highly publicized especially in the Northeast United States, even as recently as March of 2020. I'll get to that a little bit later. So the details are gruesome, but what fascinated me the most about this case was the amount of forensic science that was used to ultimately identify the victim. Yay, science! Yeah, you can't hear my air quotes. There's air quotes. <laughs> They're still going. <laughs> identify. Um, okay. I wasn't sure if the air quotes were for identify or for victim. Identify. Okay. Sometimes they're used for science, too. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly pseudoscience. Yes. That's very fair. So I felt like maybe a trigger warning would be necessary due to the graphic nature of the crime. But honestly, we are a true crime podcast. Hannah started us (laughs) off with the Rottenberg Cannibal in episode one. And now we're on episode 11. So I feel like you guys should know that there's nothing good in any of the cases that we're going to talk about. No. Yeah, it's it's fair at this Otherwise, point. And if you've made it this far, congrats. You have a, a strong stomach and hopefully not too much trauma that's Wow, that was lovely. Keep that one in. <laughs> it's like cat purrs, but it's us burping. Yeah, I wanna see the waveform of that one. <laughs> it was pretty low. I tried to scoot away from the microphone. Oh, okay. Zoom per- picked it up perfectly for me. <laughs> Sorry guys. No worries. Yeah, if we if we wanted to put a trigger warning or a contact warning, there's just one overall on the podcast being a true crime podcast. Yes. You got it. I think so. Trigger warning burps. Oh, yeah. We could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't burp on purpose, though. Oh. Let me have a, a few more drinks of this, and then um, I could probably burp on cue. <laughs> So the story that I have for you today is about Richard Crafts. Richard was born on December 20th of 1937 in New York, New York. He is a Sagittarius. We're on the cusp. Dun dun. I know. Sorry, TT. <laughs> and all other sags. And all other sags. But I uh, I had a hypothesis that uh, Sagittarius were going to be the sleeper agents of our murder stories. And so far, I'm doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to backtrack, actually, to the last episode, I was able to find the birth date for Gary. And it turns out Gary was also a Sagittarius. So yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the negative qualities of Sagittarius men in the astrological portion. Men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was wondering, I've never heard of Robert Crafts before. I was re- Richard. Oh, Richard. Well, I haven't heard of him either. It's another dick. I was going to say, Robert Kraft was the owner of the Patriots, but he probably has other crimes. Oh, I think he did get caught in that masseuse parlor that was 
more than a masseuse parlor. But anyway. Happy endings. Yeah. But uh, Richard <laughs> crafts. Massage in some different spots. I guess it's still a massage. Yes. This is going to be fun. Two episodes and... Ooh, there's a burp. Yay. We've all burped now. I, I missed yours. Oh. It got picked up in the thingy. <laughs> okay. Okay, dick cheese. Yeah, but with a C, not with a K. I kept calling him Robert, too. Dick cheese. Dick cheese. Whoop, whoop. So there's not a lot of information about Kraft's childhood, and there was absolutely no information that I could find about his mother. Not even her name, which is weird. Whoa. Wow. But Crafts was the only boy and the youngest of three children. His father, John Crafts, was said to be a successful businessman in Manhattan. Ooh la la. I know. And the family lived in an upscale area of Darien, Connecticut, which is about an hour northeast of Manhattan. Hmm. Sounds cush. Cool. Yeah. Side note... I love Manhattan. I don't know if you guys have been. I've never been. Never been. I absolutely love Manhattan. So I got to take a nice little trip down memory lane when I was reading and researching about this. Aww. And I just wanted to bring up a cocktail. Ooh. Yes, please. A Manhattan? (laughs) No, actually, this is a little bit different. This is, (laughs) there is a burrito restaurant called Blockhead's. And they have what is called a red-nosed bulldog, which is a strawberry margarita. And it has an upside-down Corona and then a a Patron floater. Oh, my God. Okay, pro that. So this is like a you're-going-to-get-fucked-up cocktail. Exactly. In fact, I got so fucking trashed (laughs) that I ended up in a small boutique in Soho and I fell over in the dressing room and then (laughs) we ended back up on, I think, 4th or 5th Avenue, wherever Macy's is, and I paid $40 for a cup of clam chowder because I needed something to soak up the alcohol. Oh my goodness. It was only like a 5 cup of clam chowder but wait I, why did you pay 40 i tipped well okay oh my god i've never had a 40 dollar uh, bowl of soup before no it was all me i okay. just was i get very friendly when i drink so the waiter appreciated it a lot oh yeah i'm sure he had a he's got a nice story in his collection of crazy drunk he's ladies he's got to see that... so much shit working in like manhattan <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, but I think I will put the recipe for the Yay! Uh, red nose food pairing on there. Get fucked up, folks! Is our food pairing for this week? <laughs> exactly. I mean, Mercury's still in retrograde. It this will not be by real. the time this airs, though. But you can still do it. Still get fucked up, folks. It's summer. Well, and we need to like ease out of the Mercury retrograde, so it's a good time to have a few drinks. So. Yeah, we made it. Anywho's, so back to crafts. After high school, he briefly attended college before joining the Marines in 1956. During his career in the military, he became a pilot flying helicopters and various types of airplanes. He spent a substantial amount of time overseas in Southeast Asia. He remained abroad flying for Air America until he returned stateside in 1966. In 1968, he landed a job as a commercial (laughs) pilot for Eastern Airlines, which at the time was a major American airline, and they were in business from 1926 to 1991. Okay. Never heard of them. I know. Me neither. (laughs) Crafts met his future wife, Hella Nielsen, on May 24th of 1969 in Miami, Florida. Hella was born in Denmark on July 7th of 1947, so she's a cancer. Feelings. She was an only child. She was described as vibrant and outgoing, even in her childhood. She was very friendly and very well liked by everyone that she met. She spoke French and English and understood German, Norwegian, and Swedish. She attended college in England and then worked as a nanny or au pair. Au pair? I think it's au pair. Au pair. 
au pair in France before obtaining a job as a stewardess with Capital Airways, and she loved to travel. Pan Am Airways posted a position out of Copenhagen, and she was selected along with seven others out of 200 Wow. And was sent to Miami, Florida for training, which is where she met Richard. I did not get the impression that this was love at first sight for either of them. Okay, because so far Richard doesn't seem to have a personality besides Pilot. Yeah. <laughs> so they did end up dating for on and off from 1969 to 1974, And it was said that Hella was one of many women that Crafts was dating during this time. Affairs would become a common theme during their relationship. And in 1975, Hella became pregnant with the first of the three Craft children. I'm going to make a controversial statement right here. Okay. I feel like you, if you are in an on and off relationship and you can't ever get it set on one switch, turn it off. Mm Mm-hmm. If you wanted it to be on, it would be on. I agree. Yeah. This is my Scorpio Venus being like, don't you fuck around with me. We're in or we're out. But, uh. (laughs) So Richard Crafts and Hella Nielsen were married in November of 1976 in New Hampshire. And their eldest son was born and they purchased a home in Newtown, Connecticut. The property was approximately two acres and it was in a more affluent neighborhood. I was ready to say bougie when you said Newtown, Connecticut, but I refrained because I've never actually been there. But bougie, I was right. Bougie. Yeah. Unfortunately, Newtown, Connecticut is also the town in 2012, the Sandy Hook Elementary (gasps) mass shooting occurred in so this town has had some pretty times so the property was approximately two acres in a more affluent neighborhood i read that at this time they had a combined income of about one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, which today would be upwards of three hundred thousand dollars i mean i'd take 120 right now just hand it to me (laughs) so they were pretty well off seems fine Their marriage did not appear to be a happy one, but over the next few years, they would have two more children. That's the way to fix it. Wait, okay, I hate this. Gosh, our marriage is on the rocks. Let's just throw two more kids into the mix. Because kids make things easier. No, they don't. Let's damage more children when we inevitably divorce or something worse. Or we're just completely unhappy and fighting with each other all the time as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's show more people of this world that we're trying to grow up in society how to be in a relationship. Yeah. I feel like maybe back more like in the 70s, I don't want to speak ill of Hella, but you have a baby. And I think in the 70s, you're like, all right, this man will be my husband for the rest of my life. So you just, you, you scoop him you in. You stick by him. Yeah. And... and now if someone, if you get pregnant, whoever the dude is, may or may not be involved in it at all. Like, we're much more used to, like, just because you got someone pregnant doesn't mean you're their soulmate or anything. You're just a sperm donor. And I feel like there's a lot of the time, yeah. Back then it was, just like you said, it was more of like, oops, well, I guess we're in it. And we're going to have those 2.5 kids and a white picket fence, whether we want it or not. So Hella hired Don Marie Thomas, as a live-in nanny for the three craft children so she could return to work. Nice. I should note here that... Get me out of this house. I know. (laughs) In January of 1981, Crafts purchased a chainsaw for $644.95. This will become important in the case later. That also seems expensive for a chainsaw. In the 80s? No, chainsaws... I bought one for my husband and like 10 years ago and I think I paid like $800 for it. So You bought your husband a chainsaw, Meredith. Have you learned nothing from true crime? <laughs> daring. That is daring. She's a Gemini. No, he's Scorpio. You're Gemini. He's Scorpio. Oh, Gemini. I actually want to give a Scorpio a chainsaw, but... <laughs> no. They're too good at keeping secrets. That's true. Okay. Especially well, if I go missing. <laughs> now we know. Where's your tattoo? <laughs> now you know. It's on my back, actually. Okay. Oh, good. Good to know. And my sister has a matching one, so. All right. We'll line them up. 
Exactly. <laughs> Hi, fan club president. Um, so Crafts was said to be abusive to Hella, and she was seen with bruises on her face. He oh. was also said to be very controlling over their finances, but he would spend exuberantly on his interests, such as landscaping equipment and guns. Wow, those are two interests to have. <laughs> I know. So Crafts was said to have multiple affairs during his marriage, and he would often disappear for days at a time without explanation. Bye, bitch. I know. In addition to being a pilot, Crafts became an auxiliary or an unpaid police officer oh, for Newtown. I don't like that at all. Mm-mm. If you want to be a cop so bad, you don't even want to get paid. It gets worse. Oh, no. So he spent a lot of time hanging around the station, even when he was not working. And in 1986, he actually became a, a police officer in Southbury, which is a town just a, a little ways away, while still maintaining his job with Eastern Airlines. When the police department could not afford to send him to different trainings, he would personally pay to go. Eat the rich. What in the world? Right. And I wanted to find out like what types of training he attended, but there wasn't any information on that. Well, I know my old roommate got into the police academy last year and it was like six months of like, he was gone all day. He was gone at night sometimes. He was gone the weekend sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know how you could have another job that also has hours that it wants you to be there on top of all of that. Yeah, exactly. Crafts even purchased his very own 1985 Crown Victoria. Oh my god, he's like a fucking um, cosplayer for cops. Mm-hmm. And installed radios, antennas, lights, and sirens. Is that even legal? Well, because he was a police officer, they just... Oh, he was by this point. Yeah, they didn't have the money to give They're him They're like, we're not going to provide it for you, but you can, you can get your own. Oh yeah. my god. Okay. That's so creepy. I don't like it. It's super creepy. But his fascination with law enforcement really threw up some red flags for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings up some, just some questions. Especially now in 2021 with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, Yes. But I mean, okay, so my whole thing with cops is like, if that's what you really want to be to, I don't know, maintain order, sure. But I feel like the people who gravitate towards that and who really really want to be a cop are the people who don't have enough control of their own lives and want to control others and um, execute their whatever you know power that they can over others yeah that's the scary part it was really awkward when my roommate got into the police academy because that was january 2020 and i I was like congrats Uh, congrats question mark it's (laughs) like i feel kind of bad for him because like his dream has always been to be a police officer and even spent like four years in the army to get the veteran status to like get in easier. But mm-hmm. he really wants to be like a, a detective, like, you know, solving cases, yeah. not like a beat cop, but you you have to go through that right. first. But but he, he had also wanted to be a medic too, though. He was trying to decide well, was between medic- going to nursing or into, yeah. He was a medic in the army and he was doing nursing school, like some classes, but I think he really actually, that was a, that was plan B. Oh, okay. Because there was mention of him like becoming a flight medic to be able to do like airlift kind of stuff. Yeah, that seemed pretty solidly plan B. Okay. I don't think I could ever be a police officer because I probably couldn't make it through, like, physical training. Oh, yeah, I can't run. But I've always been fascinated with detectives and stuff like that. So instead, I do... Internet sleuthing! Internet sleuthing. I would be terrified of dealing with the bureaucracy and um, corruption. And, like, you don't know if your partner's a good cop or a bad cop. (laughs) Until you're the partner. I'm throwing my old roommate on the bus a lot. He was a super solid Democrat, like, not a Trump supporter by any means. Had a big poster of Obama in his bedroom. Like, right. your co-workers are going to be really... But I guess he's also been in the Army, so it's... Who knows? Like, yeah, the Army, he said, sucked for him, too. Because he was like, I have to follow orders, but the orders fucking suck. <laughs> like, Yeah, it just seems like <laughs> this might be a lot of people that you have completely like morally opposed opinions with but you do you Mm -hmm. my dude all right so back to it sorry hannah's old roommate slash yay he's doing great he's fine okay good. he's got himself a nice witchy girlfriend so he'll be fine oh yeah and he's the blue he's the blue dot in the police force that we all need 
cool. Not the thin blue line. No, the blue dot in like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) in the Red Sea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So in the summer of 1986, Hella contacted a divorce lawyer after she became suspicious of Krauss having an affair. I read that Hella was aware of some of his previous transgressions, but this seemed to be a breaking point for her. The lawyer would put Hella in contact with a private investigator named Keith Mayo in order to secure photos and documentation of the affair to help with the divorce proceedings. Keith would confirm Kraft's affair with at least two women, one being Nancy Dodd, a flight attendant living in New Jersey. It is unknown if or when Hella confronted Kraft's about the affairs or getting a divorce, but I feel like she must have confronted him to kind of set this whole thing in motion. Yeah. Oh, I'm having such a bad feeling about this, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to start yelling, just get a divorce sooner or later. Oh, it's really, really bad. Just get a divorce, dude, then you can fuck around all you want. I know. Premeditation is the name of the game here. (laughs) Yay! purchased and or rented the following items in the weeks before Hella's disappearance. November 13th of 1986, he purchased a large capacity freezer for $365. It's for wild boar. Uh-huh. And on November 17th of 1986, he rented a wood chipper for Woof. $900. Oh boy. All right. On the evening of November 18th, 1986, Hella was dropped off at home by her co-workers after she worked on a flight from Frankfurt, Germany. This would be the last time Hella would be seen alive. A snowstorm hit the area that night, and this would also have an impact later in the case. Weather really Mm. helped him out. Crafts did not report Hella missing. When her friends and co-workers started to ask him about her whereabouts, he told a variety of stories. You gotta choose one! I know. One of which was that she had flown back to Germany. Another one was that she had flown to Denmark to be with her sick mother. And another was that she was vacationing with a friend in the Canary Islands. Sounds nice, (laughs) but... I mean, when you have almost today's money, $300,000 annually, that that sounds, yeah, yeah, reasonable. So there is conflicting information about who actually reported Hella missing. It was either her friend or the private investigator. I've read it both ways, but... Oh. Hella was reported missing on December 1st of 1986. I kind of love if it was the PI that he was like that intertwined. He's like, this is fishy as fuck. I got to do it's something. Like, who do I report to? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have shit pol- to say. Mm. And so again, she had been missing for, for two weeks already by the time she was actually reported missing. And wow. Richard was a cop. Yes. Ugh. From what I read, it did not appear that the police were very concerned at first. However, her friends and her co-workers and the investigator would inform police that taking off and abandoning her three children was very much out of character for her. And a friend would also tell police that in early November, Hella had said, quote, if anything happens to me, don't assume it was an accident, end quote. Girl! Keith would also provide information about his investigation and the affairs that were taking place at the same time to the police. So police had requested an interview with Crafts. He indicated that the last time he saw Hella was on November 19th before taking the children and the nanny to his sister's house in Westport, Connecticut, because there was a power outage due to the snowstorm. Crafts would provide a one-page statement to police with what little information he had about Hella's whereabouts. Police would also interview the nanny, Don Marie Thomas, and she told police that Crafts had woken her up at 6 a.m. on November 19th and told her to get the children ready to go to his sister's house. Don indicated that when she asked Crafts where Hella was, he told her that Hella had already left for his sister's house. Did Don indicate that the power was on at this moment? No, it was still out. It was actually he, out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Crafts did drive Don and the children to his sister's house. He 
then picked them up around 7 p.m. that evening. And when Dawn asked about Hella again, because she never arrived at the sister's house, Kraft yeah. told her that he didn't know where she was. No worries. When Dawn asked again <laughs> the following day, he told her that she had gone to Denmark to be with her sick mom. I figured it out, finally. <laughs> like, oh no, she's already over there. Uh, no, never mind. She she took a flight. <laughs> wait, wait. But in the middle, I have no idea. Just give me a mm-hmm. moment. I gotta think of something. So police asked Crafts to come in again on December 4th of 1986 for a polygraph examination. He passed. Police mm-hmm. had their own suspicions based on the information that was provided by her friends and the investigator, Keith Mayo, and the seemingly conflicting stories that Crafts was telling about where she was. Suspicious. Yeah. On December 11th of 1986, police once again asked Crafts to come in for questioning, and he obliged. Crafts was very pointed with the police and seemed to have a simple answer for each of their questions. So I have some of the questions. Let's do a play. Uh, What's his name? Crafts. 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 It's page four. It's short. It's five. So do you want to be the police officer? Or do you want to be crafts? I'll do whatever. Do you have a preference? I'll be the police officer. Okay. <laughs> I'll be shifty dude. Shifty dude. On November 18th, when Hella came home, when and why did she leave? Those answers are in my statement. Why have you been telling everyone different things about Hallie being missing, like her mother being sick? I didn't want to say my wife was gone. I didn't know where she was. There's a lot more to that conversation, but I just kept some of the pertinent parts of it. He doesn't want to say that she's missing. It's embarrassing. It's, yeah. It's, oh, when he like, doesn't know where she your, is. It's the mother of your fucking children. Like, maybe you should figure it out. Or be more concerned. But, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is still not. I mean, he knows where she is, but, like, act, like. He's concerned and not just embarrassed of it. Yeah, there wasn't an ounce of concern. No. Clearly, Richard was not a good actor in any sense. (laughs) Not like us. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. On December 17th of 1986, the Danbury News Times published the first story on the case under the headlines, Police Seek Missing Newtown Woman. This would start causing pressure on the police, not only from Hella's friends, but also the general public and the state's attorney's office, who would later turn the case over to the Connecticut State Police. Detectives from the Western District Major Crimes Unit began to investigate Kraft's activities prior to and shortly after Hella's disappearance. They checked his financial information, telephone records, etc., The police were able to obtain search warrants for the Crafts' home, and on Christmas Day of 1986, while the Crafts' family was in Florida on vacation, the police executed a search warrant, along with police officers, was Dr. Henry Lee, who is a renowned forensic scientist. Cool. Throughout his career, Dr. Lee has assisted in investigations of over 8,000 criminal cases, including O.J. Simpson, the review of the John F. Kennedy assassination, and the death of John JonBenet Ramsey. Huh. Only, actually, none of those have gotten solved, but okay, go on. Yeah. <laughs> A total of 108 items were removed from the home, including, but not limited to, all of the guns, Woo! towels, washcloths, various fiber samples, a king-sized mattress, and bedding. Dr. Lee and his team of Crime scene investigators also conducted luminal testing throughout the house and found areas that had tested positive for blood. Type O, which would be later confirmed as Hella's blood type. So again, this is in the mid-80s, so pretty much all they could do was blood typing. Yeah, no DNA yet. Mm -hmm. So 
Forensic investigators use the luminol to detect the trace amounts of blood at the crime scene as it reacts with the hemoglobin. So when luminol is sprayed evenly across an area, trace amounts of an activating oxidant make the luminol emit a blue glow that can be seen in a darkened room. Despite the large amount of evidence that was removed from the home, investigators still could not determine what happened to Hella. Where was she? That's the question, folks. Yeah. Sometime around December 30th of 1986, a local man named Joseph Hine came forward to police. He was operating a snowplow on the night of November 18th when he witnessed a U-Haul truck towing a wood chipper that was parked along Housatonic River Road near Lake Zor, which is approximately 15 minutes outside of Newtown. Police asked Mr. Hine to show them the location. Investigators and crime scene technicians searched and processed the area. This is where it gets gruesome. And I literally just got chills down my back because it's bad. Items found included small pieces of metal, three ounces of human tissue. That's not very much. Three ounces? Three ounces. Two teeth. A dental (gasps) crown. A fingernail covered in pink nail oh, polish. Oh, I hate nail stuff. Oh, I God. hate nail stuff. Anything else, but don't give me nail stuff. The teeth and nails. Mm-hmm. <sighs> a portion of a toenail. Oh, more nail stuff. <laughs> I know. Sorry. 69 bone chips. 2,660 bleach blonde human hairs. Someone had to count those. <laughs> oh, my God. Five droplets of type O Five blood. what? Five droplets of type O blood. Droplets. Droplets. Okay. Yeah. That is so few. They found several envelopes with Hella's name on them, pieces of cloth, plastic, and wood chips. All of the evidence was taken back to the state crime lab for further examination, and additionally, investigators located a chainsaw in the Housatonic River. Okay. I know. According to the Hartford Current, Crafts told his brother-in-law, let them dive. There is no body. It's gone. Well, yeah. There is three ounces of tissue left, my dude. I know. But also admitting guilt at that point for sure. His brother-in-law, which I assume then is married to Hella's family member? It was actually his Or as his sister's husband, the one that he sent Oh, I am such an idiot. Cut it. Don't cut it. Whatever. No, I mean, it could, a brother-in-law could be either, either direction, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, I mean. So the chainsaw was examined and the serial number had been filed away, but the technicians were able to restore the serial number with acid. Yay, Woo! acid! Science. The good use of acid. I know, right? Finally. <laughs> Larissa Schuster's uh, use of acid. Not good use. So human tissue, blood, hair, and blue fibers were found in the teeth of the blade of the chainsaw. The blue fibers were found to be consistent with carpet fibers from the craft's home, and the serial number was traced, and investigators discovered warranty paperwork had been filed by... Why would he get a warranty on it if he's going to throw it in a river? So, yeah. (sighs) There you go. Okay. Okay. A forensic dentist would positively match the dental crown to Hella's dental records, Paint on the fingernail would be matched to a bottle of fingernail polish that was located on Hella's nightstand. The blonde hair was matched to hair found in a hairbrush that was taken from Hella's bathroom. Blood found at the house, in the chainsaw, and at the river would all be type O, which was the same as Hella's. And in Connecticut, prosecution for homicide requires an official determination of death. In this case, they technically did not have a body. However, the forensic evidence was able to prove that the evidence located was, in fact, the remains of Helicrafts. Okay, good. So they could declare death or something. If you have that many bone chips, teeth, fingernails, hair, like, there's no chance of her walking around alive <laughs> like she's like yeah hey i got no hair no teeth but i'm still here bitches no unfortunately sorry hella the connecticut state medical examiner's office issued a death certificate for hella crafts on january 13th of 1987 and this would be the first case in connecticut that would be prosecuted without a body 
All right, good for them. On January 11th of 1987, Richard Crafts was arrested. He initially declined to come out of the house, stating, quote, I'm tired. I'll take care of this in the morning, end quote. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, no, buddy, sorry. This isn't really your I'm choice. I'm also tired, so. but, yeah. sir. Yeah, you're tired from all the work you've been doing to try and cover this shit up. I know. He eventually surrendered and was taken into custody. Bail was set at $750,000, which today would be approximately $1.7 million. Cool. So that would be like maths. Six years worth of their double income? Mm-hmm. I was going to let you do the maths. And now it's a single income, <laughs> yeah. and he knows it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So based on the information that I read, it appears that the police concluded that the night of November 18th, 1987, Crafts killed Hella in their home and used the newly purchased freezer to freeze Hella's body. Then he dismembered her body and drove out near Lake Zor and used the wood chipper to chip her remains. It must be pretty remote. Like, no one saw this? The snowplow driver did, but also there was a snowstorm that night, so there wasn't really anybody on the road except for that snowplow driver. That would look even more suspicious, though. You're like, why is this guy wood chipping in the middle of a fucking snowstorm? I know. Yeah, driving a U-Haul with a wood chipper in, in the middle, middle of a snowstorm. snowstorm. Like, what if on his way out to the lake, he got in an accident in the snowstorm, and her frozen body is just in the back of that U-Haul? Like, what? <laughs> it worked yeah. out for him, unfortunately. Until it didn't, but yeah. Until it didn't, exactly. <laughs> so. But, like, that's just a huge risk. It, it is. but And I don't know how isolated that road was, but I'm guessing it was fairly isolated. But thankfully, that snow plow driver was out that evening and witnessed it otherwise they wouldn't have found the location where they collected most of that forensic evidence right so on i couldn't quite get the exact start date of the first trial there is a little bit of conflicting information but it said so one date said june 23rd of 1987 but then i read somewhere else that it lasted for 53 days and it ended on July 15th of 1987, which is not 53 days. So I'm going to say sometime in May is when it started. They held the trial in New London, Connecticut, due to the immense amount of publicity over the case. The trial was moved to New London, which is about 80 miles southeast of Newtown. Jurors heard the testimony of over 100 witnesses and experts and the presentation of 650 pieces of evidence. After 17 days, jurors became deadlocked 11 to 1 when one juror, Warren Maskell Jr., voted for an acquittal and refused to deliberate further. I read that Maskell basically threw a temper tantrum and walked <laughs> out, refusing to return. All right, he deserves to be called out right now, because what the fuck? What the hell? Is uh, he... Is some of that money going to him? I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just an asshole. Uh, I don't. Did one of the police force who's trying to, like, protect one of their own go after him? From what I read, there were several articles about, you know, from his perspective on it. He just felt that, that the forensic evidence didn't necessarily prove that she was dead and that he thought she could be pretty much anywhere in the world because she was, you know... She was a, a Denmark national, and she had family, and and was well traveled all over the world. But at the very least, missing most of her teeth, several fingernails, and at least a bone for sixty nine bone chips to be present. So, and then no hospital visit and blood so in the house. Probably not doing great. And then blood yes. at this lake. Yeah. Well, you know, some people's children—they're not so smart. I've never been on a jury before. <sighs> I kind of think I might never be on a jury, which is probably fine. I've had jury duty three times and they've never called me in. No, I have two. And like me and Sarah live in a college town. So when I went for my call in, every single person that said that they were a student at UC Davis got kicked off the jury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> me. I didn't even get called, but you know, I was figuring that I would be said to go home. Mm hmm. So on July 15th of 1987, the judge declared a mistrial. 
The second trial was held on September 7th of 1989 in Norwalk, Connecticut. The trial was moved, though this location is only about 25 miles southwest of Newtown, which I thought was kind of weird. It's actually closer closer to... I don't know how they make those decisions, but... I guess Connecticut's kind of small. Not that small. It's relatively small, But you can get farther away than 25 miles. That's what I was thinking, but the jury deliberated for four days, and on November 21st of 1989, Crafts was convicted of murder. Thank God. Fucking good. On January 9th of 1990, Crafts was sentenced to 50 years. I did read 99 years in a few places, but on some of the more reputable articles, it said 50, so we're going to go with 50. How did they come up with those numbers? I don't so know. arbitrary. Possibility of parole? Yeah, just wait. Mm. <sighs> so, Karen Rogers of Westport, Connecticut, Richard's sister, was awarded custody of the three Crafts children. I'm going to ask about these kids okay. and like how old they were at the time. They were, I think they were all under the age of 12. Oh, man. Yeah. So, like I said, there's more. Oh. Mm. January 2020, Crafts, at the age of 82, was released after serving only 30 of his 50-year sentence. Why? Because of an old sentencing law in place at the time of his sentencing called statutory good time. Statutory bad time. Exactly. Yes. But what this means is that prisoners could have their sentences reduced significantly due to the time served. So he was in jail for three years during the arrest and trials and then for good behavior while he was in prison. And the law has subsequently been changed, but Crafts was initially released into a halfway house. But as of June of 2020, Crafts is a free man. So, yeah. He walks among us. Major fucking bummer. They should have taken 69 bone chips, three fingernails, 2,000 whatever pieces of <laughs> and hair. And three ounces of human uh, flesh and his teeth. before I let him go. And those droplets of blood. Yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. Maybe an eyeball for good measure. <laughs> I know. He got almost 20 years knocked off for good behavior. And and three years during the trial. which I understand no. that a little bit, but he... Three for 20, though? No, 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 no. but I understand, like, the the time that you spend waiting for a trial, especially now, because his first trial was really quick after he was arrested, but a lot of times people sit for a very long time, and so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I understand that, but he should have gotten life. He should have got the death penalty, in in my opinion, but that's just me. Does Connecticut have the death penalty? Is there not death penalty? I didn't look that up, actually. I don't know. Should find out what states do death penalty. Yeah, it would be interesting to know. So, for a little bit of pop culture, the movie Fargo. I was going to say, this story was this had to, to be, inspired Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> so, this was thought to be a part of the inspiration for that movie. And there are also episodes of The Good Doctor and Law and Order Criminal Intent that mm. are inspired by this case. And Forensic Files, which is one of my favorite shows. I love it. This was the pilot episode in 1996. (gasps) Oh! Oh! It's great for Forensic Files. Forensics, yeah. Because there was so much stuff. And I could have talked a lot more about about some of the testing and stuff that they did, but it it got super science-y and... Oh, we're here for that, though. I mean, maybe not the listeners, and that would take a long time. But, like, that'd be a really fun episode, like, fun episode to do, where we just talk about, like, the history of different types of forensics and, like, where they came from. Oh, my God, that'd be so much fun. And different ways of uh, putting people to death. Mm -hmm. I've already done lethal injection, but there's a lot of other cool ways. Not cool ways. Cut that. Yeah. Um, well, so I mean, if you're being put to death, there's there are a lots for of it. different diverse ways. There are ways to be put to death to be put that the to state death. has sanctioned at different periods of time. Yes. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently, I think we should go back to the guillotine. I guess quick and guillotine. Yeah. The f- guillotine. guillotine. It's fast. It does what it needs to do. It's fast. It's cheap. Mm-hmm. The same apparatus can be used multiple times. Mm-hmm. You don't need to wash the blade. Um, there's kind of who gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's kind of no uh, 
no risk involved. Like, like hanging, you could hang for several minutes before you're actually dead. I'm pretty sure once the head is off, like, there's not a worry there's couple, about let's consciousness There's a couple of cool things about that. consciousness to talk about. I know. Oh, my God. Okay, we're going to do a death penalty but, like, episode. It's done for. It's and we're going to do a forensic yes. episode because there's cool stuff everywhere. Um, oh, let yeah, me just say, sure. uh, in January 10th, 1933, Connecticut reinstated the death penalty after Furman versus Georgia. But they only executed one person until they, um, let's see here, 2012, they abolished it. Okay. Uh, Still seems like he could have gone life. Yeah. For me, the premeditation, like, should have been one of those special circumstances because, like, he was purchasing some of that stuff, you know, weeks in advance. I mean, the chainsaw, he did purchase that a few years in advance. But I also feel like the fact that he was going to different types of trainings and stuff in his police officer job that part of that might have been premeditation so he could learn like countermeasures yeah like how to not leave yeah. forensics around the house you know, to clean I up mean, the house pretty well for the most part i think but like well enough that he probably could not get convicted on what was there or yeah. like knew the difficulty of convicting someone for murder when there's no body it's just some blood of a person that lives in the house it's that's a rough one yeah yeah so for the astrological overview i am not gonna lie i researched all of the negative traits of a sagittarius (laughs) this bitch i have nothing nice to say about this fucking okay i'm gonna time out for one second though um sagittarius are pretty well known for travel and, like, not wanting to stay in one place. So, mm-hmm. becoming a pilot is honestly not the weirdest career choice I would think of for uh, Sagittarius. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. That's fair enough. So, I would like to apologize in advance to any male sags that may be listening. <laughs> there are some really fun and charming traits to a Sagittarius man. Oh, I know. <laughs> Yes, Sarah knows. And I know as well. <laughs> Alex was a Sagittarius. And he loved astrology. Uh, yeah, that's right. I hope he listens. But like Alex. I said, I could not add any positivity in here because he chipped his fucking wife. Okay? And he could have yeah. just gotten... I'm gonna... I can just foresee myself yelling this a million times. Just get a fucking divorce. That seems mm-hmm. easier than killing your fucking spouse. Go to therapy. Get a divorce. I got uh, a divorce. Take your meds. What are all the other like positive affirmations that people just need to put in the work for their own lives and not destroy I'll those? Say, I got a divorce. It turned out fine. Listeners, yeah, way better. I mean, I was way better afterwards, though. Like, mm-hmm. it's like the, you're in that particular moment. That moment doesn't last forever. Maybe he was concerned about money, but it sounds like both of them were bringing in a lot of money. So his son. Is in Sagittarius, and they can have a god complex. Uh, when his sisters took his children, and he went to mm-hmm. prison, that seems like it would eliminate like child welfare pay. Like he wouldn't have to pay for his kids anymore because he doesn't have a fucking job. Actually, his sister ended up suing him for part of. I didn't write that into the script, but his sister did end up suing him for part of the estate for good the welfare of the children. Good, because that, that's, like, the reason that I think I've heard is, like, they don't want to pay the child support. But you still have the kids. You're going to have to pay for them anyway. Yeah. You're like, you're still shelling out money I don't know what's happening and... here. They're going to grow. You're going to have to buy them more clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I was saying, his son is in Sagittarius. They can have a, a god complex. Check. They can be narcissists with a tendency for self-indulgence. Wow, all the affairs? Anyone? I know. Hmm. While it may not impact their work, it poses a very high risk of driving away friends and family. They are known to be blunt and often rude. (laughs) I told you, there was nothing good in here. Are you seeing anything, Sarah, that relates to you and your relationship? No, no. (laughs) Like I said, I picked out all of the bad stuff specifically in this I think my Sagittarius man in my life leans a little bit more heavily on his other planetary aspects. Okay. 
So they are aware of their own intellect and display a high level of confidence. Ding! (laughs) But they often forget to think before they speak, which can lead to tarnished relationships. Or like five different stories about where your wife is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They can display anger issues. They are, after all, a fire sign. They can be overly dramatic and have a tendency to blow up in a very monumental way. Yeah. So his son is in Sagittarius and his moon is in Leo. Damn. This, uh, what's the word? This, we'll just call it that because he's a combination. Piece of shit, but, uh... Combination. Thank you, Sarah. So the combination of Sagittarius sun and, and Leo moon is that they're Fire on fire. That's so much fire. Their confidence and self-belief is very formidable, and they are very competitive. They hate to lose, perhaps even more than Aries. And a divorce could be considered mm-hmm. a loss? Yeah, it would be like a failure, and they can't accept that. Do you not tell that it's already a f- I guess everyone else knows it's a failure. The Leo part of it, too, if it's like Leo and Sagittarius, right, they're more likely to be like, no, I'm I'm right, and I need everyone to see that I'm the one who's correct here. And a Leo and definitely like, wants want to, to be give seen in. as right and the leader and everything. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they also appreciate luxury and all of the fine things life has to offer. Enjoy jail, bitch. I know. <laughs> well, not anymore. Well, enjoyed jail, bitch. <laughs> I know. <sighs> But they can also get carried away with their excess and indulgences, and this was... More affairs. Affairs, just his overall expenditures for guns and the lawn equipment that he was very fond of. Uh, But, yeah. So, that's what I have for his sun and his moon. But I did... I was just interested, right, to see about their compatibility. (gasps) And we haven't really touched on compatibility yet. So, Hella was Cancer, and then Richard was Sagittarius. So, do fire and water mix? In this instance, I would say, fuck no. (laughs) Yeah. But as I said before, I did not get the impression that their relationship was truly one of love. So, that's why it kind of sparked my curiosity as to whether or not Sagittarius and Cancers were even compatible. So, from what I read... The relationship between a Sagittarius and a Cancer can often be filled with issues. It ranks relatively low on the compatibility scale. While the Cancer craves the interpersonal connection, the Sagittarius really like their freedom. So unless Mm. these two were fully committed to each other, this would be a combination to avoid. Yeah, I would have said the same. And it sounds like Hella... Wasn't able to put out his fire. He can just completely mm-hmm. overran everything. Mm-hmm. I would agree. But that is the wood chipper case, my friends. Thank you. My goodness. I'm glad you brought in compatibility because Sarah knows how many times we've been at a bar and I've done compatibility with other people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have anything nice to say about, you know, about him, period, but... I was curious. I was like, because it, it, to me, it sounded like they got married because she was pregnant. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I was wondering if, like, if they, if they even were meant to be or if their stars aligned. And in this case, I'm going to say hard no. I'm going to say there definitely are great Sagittarii out there because they do Mm -hmm. have a sense of fun, they have a sense of adventure. They're pretty mm-hmm. friendly, mm-hmm. like they're pretty easy to get along with because they, they like talking to other people and being in the midst of something. They don't like to be still that much, so they're much better at being social. Yeah. But Yeah, they're super social. Like I said, there are so many positive traits. I just... I mean, yeah, we're going to say fuck him, but for any sags that listen, we see you. Mm-hmm. Don't murder anybody, yes. but we see you. <laughs> Maybe don't uh, boil over the water signs in your life. But that would mean the water signs would snap, wouldn't it? I mean, in this case, he just, he was too fiery and she just turned into steam and bits and oh, tiny she just pieces boiled away. Ooh, girl. Yeah. Ooh. Ah. I am surprised I have never heard of this, though. But when you were, st- when you said wood chicken, 
I thought of Fargo, which is one of the only movies I've ever actually seen, so, mm-hmm. which, not true, but I haven't seen a lot of very classic movies that other people have seen. <laughs> I have seen Fargo. I remember this part. I have not seen Fargo. Well, as a wood chipper in it, as a supporting character. I'm going to watch it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it will, uh, It yeah. will get you in the mood for a trip to Minnesota. Not mm-hmm. side of Minnesota, but it's still that, like, snowy plains place. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sarah Diff, do you have some astrology? <laughs> astrology tidbits. Okay. So on June 27th, Venus is going to be going into its planetary ingress into Leo. Hmm. And it's going to remain there until July 21st. So actually not that long. But Venus, you know, is our planet for love, beauty, pleasure, values, aesthetics, enjoyment, that kind of thing. And Leo is not with respect to um, this guy's moon or anything, but <laughs> playful, fun, energetic, and generous uh, are its good oh, attributes. Oh, interesting, because I was, I would have said that Leos are more self-centered, because it's about the image that they project. Right, so they can be, that That can be one of the negative aspects of Leo, when they care more about generosity to themselves and enjoying nice things and stuff like that. But the playful, fun, energetic part. Being generous for the sake of looking like a generous person. Yes, to make yourself look better. The other part, too, of of this is that Venus is usually about interpersonal relationships. And so if you're being generous and Venus is in Leo, you might have more of that generosity towards others and not necessarily towards self. Whereas Leo in Sun is more about you, right? And Leo in Moon is more about you. That's true. That's a good point. Okay, so love during this time when Venus is in Leo is supposedly magnificent and grand. Oh, fuck. I, Um, okay. Ready for it. Like we think about a lion, magnificent and grand. So we take pride, pun intended. (laughs) We take pride in love and we're generous with our money in the name of love too. I don't have any money, but I would be if I could be. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you don't have to spend money like up the wazoo or anything. Literally cannot um, do that. What you have. (laughs) No, no Canary Islands vacations. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe a day trip to, like, the coast. <laughs> yeah. Something, yeah. right? Do something. It might cost a little bit of money or time. You can be generous with time, too, not necessarily money. But just yeah. as a Capricorn, well, no, maybe as a Virgo. Like, giving my time, I feel like, for me, is one of the biggest indicators. Is that your love language? It's my love language, for sure. It's definitely not gifts. Fucking hell, I cannot buy a gift to save my life, but, um... I love my gifts. I can only buy gifts for you and Taryn. Um, (laughs) Other than than that, it's just... It's bad. No, but, like, giving... Like, taking some of my time and sharing it with you is, like, a huge thing for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Got it. Anyway. (laughs) No, I like it. Okay, so... Yeah, this is a warm-hearted... Kind of teasing, playful, expressive, and maybe an extravagant placement for Venus to be in. Sounds fun. It can turn into kind of a game because of that playful side of things. Kind of like a little tumbly lion cub. Like some wrestling. Some wrestling. <laughs> yeah, a little Simba. kitty wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Which was so lighthearted and whatnot. So yeah, during this phase, Venus, we're going to also feed on attention and acknowledgement and validation. So in the same way that you might be feeling generous for those things, you're going to want it too. And it loves to be adored. Venus and Leo loves to be adored, pampered, admired, but definitely be aware of pitfalls during this time. Try not to let your ego get in the way of your enjoyment or the enjoyment of others. And a negative aspect during this planetary ingress is that we might fall guilty of kind of overstating our feelings for the effect of being grandiose. So make sure that you mean what you are saying before you say it. All right, this Capricorn who has trouble with feelings has taken this one to heart. I know, her eyebrows went way up. <laughs> I, I ran into trouble last time I did this, so I'm, I'm uh, one spurt, ten times shy or whatever. Got it. <laughs> I have a little, little tidbit. Yay! I'm trying. So on July 3rd, so this episode airs on June 28th, and then that coming Saturday is July 3rd, and Mars in Leo will be square with Uranus and Taurus. And what did we say about squares? Not good. Hard. Frustrating. Not good. So this violent aspect could bring violent. elements mm-hmm, 
elements of Leo and Taurus. But Leo and Mars sounds intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is intense. It could bring obstacles and it could even bring accidents. So, and this is the Saturday before the 4th of July, friends. So be cautious with your fireworks. Watch your fingers and your toes. Spray everything down with a hose. Exactly. Don't be like that NFL player. Although he's he did fine afterwards. But don't blow off your fingers. Oh my gosh. Just be careful on that Saturday. Okay, friends? As it's also a drinking holiday and a holiday where we're like, let's yeah. put fire in the holiday. Drinking, uh-huh. explosives, and uh, murica. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Murica. We, we're putting a lot into that. Be careful. Uh, yeah. Be cautious, please. Thank you. Because we need you to keep listening and we need you to like rate and review us. <laughs> Gotta keep your fingies for that. So... Because Venus will be in Leo and you may be feeling playful, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com or you can visit our website at www.truecrimetrine.com. Our murder mittens page is up. I want to say, visit our website. It's up to date. There's a picture of a weasel on it. Like, there's some good mm-hmm. shit in there. There's some pictures of a Tasmanian wolf. Murder mittens is live, but we are opening mm-hmm. that for every kind of pet. We need that happiness. We need to see happy, fun pets. So please share. Alrighty then. In the words of D.H. Lawrence, we need not feel ashamed of flirting with the Zodiac. The Zodiac is well worth flirting with. Unless is the Zodiac killer. Boom. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.